Let's, let's read this passage of Scripture together. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for inexpressible things. And I pray that the Holy Spirit, who is himself invisible, would be here and would awaken us to the inexpressible around us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. You may be seated. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the book, uh, Run With the Horses, that Eugene Peterson wrote is where I'm kind of drawing ideas for this sermon series from. And he, he talks in it about um, a poet named William Stafford. I'm not familiar with him, but maybe, maybe some of you are. And uh, he was once asked in an interview, why did you decide to become a poet? And apparently he replied, well, that's the wrong question. He said, uh, <laughs> uh, everyone is born a poet. Then, you know, you might kind of think, yeah, you hadn't seen my stuff. <laughs> but that's not what he means. He says, everyone is, is born a poet, a person discovering the way the words, that words sound and the way that they, that, that they work and caring and delighting in words. And that's what we do when, we're, when we first start out. He said, I just kept on doing what everyone else starts out doing. The question is, why did everyone else stop? Why do so many stop? Uh, this, uh, this afternoon is your last chance to see this play, by the way. And uh, speaking of words, and, it, and it's, it's really good. If you haven't come to see it, you need to, you need to come see it. You don't, you, whatever you were planning this afternoon is not going to be a better time than you would have here. So I, I just want to say that. But uh, in uh, connecting the dots there, we don't really uh, consider doing Shakespeare anymore uh, here at Spring House because nobody comes. <clears throat> yeah, that's, uh, we, we just finally kind of gave up on that. Uh, and the reason that people don't come is they go, well, I don't understand that. Uh, you know, there are some things worth a little digging. And... But I don't know. This is just so radical. I'm just going to throw it out there. It may just, the room may explode. But, uh, you know, there is the possibility of actually reading a play before you come see it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, I thought it would do that. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yet, so we don't do Shakespeare, and yet there are beautiful, powerful, important phrases, things that will make you think and and impact your life. I mean, if you want to be entertained rather than just amused. All the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. You know, and if you actually will listen to Shakespeare, he'll let you know you make a lot of entrances and exits in the world. And sometimes it's good to be reminded of that because 
we kind of think, oh, I've made an exit. This must be the end. No, there are more ahead of you. Uh, a, a quote that perhaps you might find more useful is from Julius Caesar. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiant never taste of death but once. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's something to know. That's useful. Romeo and Juliet. What is in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet? I don't know. What if we called it stinkweed? <laughs> you know, we might, we might not think that it, that it smells. We're going we're to explore that next week. Next week, we're going to talk about names and, and what is my name and what is in a name. Uh, there is that <clears throat> wonderful immortal line from Richard II. The first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers. Somebody asked me the other day, did, he, did Shakespeare really say that? Yeah, it's first lawyer joke. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then there's Hamlet, and everybody knows uh, to be or not to be. That is the question. Almost nobody knows what the question actually is that he goes on to consider after that. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. There's uh, uh, Polonius uh, advising his son, uh, neither a borrower nor a lender be, to, to thine own self be true. Uh, my favorite uh, quote from Hamlet is actually, what a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty and form and moving, how express and admirable in action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a God. Beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights, not me. Hamlet's a rather downer of a play, uh, but, it's, but, <clears throat> but it's worth, it's still worth, uh, worth reading. It's worth seeing. It's worth paying attention to. And actually, the title for today's sermon came from it, um, along with the ideas that I was drawing out of Peterson's book. There are more things in heaven and on earth, Horatio, than are found or dreamt of in your philosophy. Why do we stop? Why do we stop? Why do we stop loving words? Why do we stop dreaming of what, of what we can become? Why do we stop looking for the eternal invisible in this life? Eugene Peterson says this, and maybe, maybe some of you can bear witness to it. Some people, as they grow up, become less. As children, they have glorious ideas of who they are and what life has for them. And 30 years later, we find that they've settled for something grubby and inane. What accounts for the exchange of childhood aspirations for the adult anemia? What did you want to be when you grew up? I, I, you know, when I was a little... When I was a little kid, 
you know, I wanted to be all kinds of things, and I most, mostly wanted to be a baseball player. But when I got to be a bigger kid and discovered that unless there were at least another dozen Hall of Famers on my little league, uh, that I was probably not going to make the majors. What I wanted was I wanted people to stop asking me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I remember telling a guy one time, I, I was so sick, I said, I want to be a bum. He said, I'm going to tell your dad. <laughs> okay, I'll be an actor. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, some people got that. Uh, Steve Taylor uh, wrote a song back in the 80s called Hero and had a line in it that said, Hero, a nice boy notion that the real world's going to destroy. Which it tends to do. But this really doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have or, or really even what, what job you're doing. That's, that's, not, that's not what it's about. Um, in, in his book, The Pastor, Eugene Peterson talks about encountering at one point, this was before he became a pastor, encountering uh, a, a group of artists in a, in, a, in a small group. And the thing that kind of blew him away about it was not a single one of them made their living or could make a living as an artist, but they were artists. And that's what they were, and they knew that's what they were. That's how they identified themselves. And, and we, get in, we get in situations where we begin to let our job and our, and our income and our socioeconomic level and, and, and things like that identify who we are rather than the eternity that God has placed in our hearts. Peterson says this, he says, other people, as they grow up, become more. Life is not an inevitable decline into dullness. For some, it is an ascent into excellence. You know, and there are people here today who are probably going to go, well, it's kind of too late for me. No. No, it, it, it's never too late to reverse that direction and go in the other direction. Why do we allow our philosophy to be so small? And when I say philosophy, I just simply mean the way we look at things and think about things in our lives. Now, for those who think it all ends here, that can be, you know, they, they can be excused because they, well, they have, they have an impoverished life anyway. But if you, if you think that there is something beyond, why let it become so small? Listen, if, if nothing matters beyond this life, then nothing matters in this life. That was so good. And, and people, listen, I made that up myself, so I'm going to say that again because it's really important. If nothing matters beyond this life, then nothing matters in this life at all. That's what gives it, that's what gives it meaning. Paul says over in Colossians, and this is a verse that probably many of you are familiar with, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember when it was, uh, do you remember me telling you that you're going to die? Okay, I still stand by that. <laughs> but it, it's possible for it to have already taken place and, you, and your life is hidden. Christ with God. And so, you know, set your, set your mind on, on things above. Uh, if life is not going to be an inevitable descent into dullness, then you probably need to be looking in a different direction. 
And that's what the Bible tells us to do. And you cannot set your mind on things above unless you can see the unseen. And to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. Those, those, those things that are unseen. You know, in, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, Isaac had two sons. He had Jacob and he had Esau. And Esau was the elder of the two. And Esau was the more friendly of the two. And Esau is the one that you'd probably rather have uh, with you in a foxhole. He, he, he was, Esau was uh, hail, hearty, well-met kind of guy. Jacob, <laughs> you better watch your back. Jake, Jacob was a conniver, and Jacob, but, but God chose Jacob instead of Esau. Why? Because all Esau could see was what was right before him, and Jacob could see something that was invisible. What does a blessing look like? I want that. Esau goes, well, I want this bowl of stew instead of the blessing, instead of the promise. How many, you know, just because something is invisible doesn't mean it exists. Doesn't exist. <laughs> you were listening. <laughs> I was too. That's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just because something is invisible doesn't mean it doesn't exist. How many people here believe in gravity? Yeah. Now, if you didn't raise your hand because gravity was holding it down, uh, if, if you didn't raise your hand and, and, you, and, you have, and you have your doubts about gravity, let me, let me, give, you, let me give you a way to figure this out. Uh, go climb up on top of a ladder, and rather than climb back down, just step off. See where you go. Actually, don't do that because you will sue me. Pastor said, climb up on the ladder and step off. It's your fault. Yeah. No, throw your cat off of the top of the ladder. <laughs> it's not going to hurt the cat. It, it, it's going to be okay. But I promise you it's going down. It's not going to go up because gravity is real. Gravity exists. Uh, Joy. What does joy look like? Oh, it looks like somebody laughing. Not necessarily. Can it look like somebody who's just sitting there being still? Yeah. And so it exists. We, we don't know what it looks like, but it, what does love look like? You know? Well, sometimes things that we think looks like love is something actually very different than not love at all. Oh. Uh, but love is real. I believe in it. Dark matter. Uh, uh, scientists say, I guess physicists uh, say that there is more dark matter in the universe than there is whatever not dark matter is. Light matter, stuff that you can see. And you go, well, how do they know that? Well, it's not because they can see it. You can't see it. So well, you just need a, a stronger microscope. No, you can't see it. Stark matter. How do they know it exists? Because they see its impact on the things that they can see. 
We know love exists because we can see its impact. We know joy exists because we can see its impact. We can see the impact of gravity. Can you see the impact of God? I mean, can, can you? Not everybody can. Not, not everybody who, who claims to follow Christ can see the impact of God. You, you, have, to be, you have to be looking for it, and there's, and there's actually one absolute required ingredient to see it. It's one word. Does anybody know what it is? Yes. Yeah. Faith. That's, that's, what, that's what faith is. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and an assurance of what we do not see. Everyone has faith. Everybody has faith. It's just uh, that most people only have faith in their own opinions. Or faith in what somebody told them on television. Yeah. Rather than faith in God. Yeah. Well, man, we need, uh, we need tires for the car, you know, and, and I've got a plan. And I can, so that's, that's what I'm going to, uh, you know, rather than letting God rebuke the devourer, I mean, that might not happen. So I've got a plan and, and I'll figure this out here. Um, and, and when we have faith in our, our, our own, some faith drags us down. Some faith causes us to, uh, to become mean. Some faith causes us to become selfish and, and bitter and, and discouraged and less. I have faith that I'm going to need that money. Times are going to get hard, and so can't help you. Now, the Bible says, good will come to him who is generous, lends freely. I say, I'm going to need that. And I'm not saying, you know, that so everybody go out and give away all your money. But, but I'm just saying that there, there come times in our lives where we clearly have that choice about, do I believe what I see or do I believe what God says. Which one? Some faith lifts us up. Some faith causes us to, be, to become more, and that's why we're told to set our minds on, on things above, on the, on the invisible things. And the unseen is more important than the seen. P Paul says over in 2 Corinthians, for our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> you know, I don't know what your troubles are, but whatever they are, I know two adjectives that go with them. Light and momentary. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is, is eternal. It's eternal. What is seen is that you're in financial straits. You know, what is unseen is that there is a testimony waiting on the other side of your obedience because God will show up. What is seen is that you've got a, a serious illness, whatever that may be. It may be, it may be the big C. It may be cancer or it may be something else that's 
that, that is frightening, that's, that's scary to hear about. What is unseen is that there is either a, a, a glorious healing awaiting you or, or yet, better yet, a transition into glory. I mean, it's a, it's a win-win proposition, depending on where your faith is, depending on what you actually, what you actually believe in. Paul says this, we read it. There was a man who was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I don't know what heaven is like. I don't know what heaven will be like. I was, uh, I was having lunch a couple of weeks ago with some old college friends. One of them I've mentioned a number of times um, is, is an atheist who we always talk about God. Uh, and he he talks about God more than y'all do, actually. But uh, he, uh, you know, and he, we, one of, one of them was saying, you know, I, man, I, I just could, I can't get into the idea of sitting around on a cloud playing a harp all day long. I went, well, who, who told you that? The, well, never mind. Yeah. I don't know what heaven will be like. And, there, you know, and there are ideas, there are pictures. And, you know, and if that helps you, well, knock, knock yourself out. It doesn't really do too much for me. Uh, it, it, John, I, I expect it is so other that there just aren't words to, words to express it. So, you know, let's take what we got. You know, and there, there aren't pictures to show it, it to us because it's, it's invisible. Uh, John in uh, Revelation describes a city, the New Jerusalem, and, and it's 1,500 miles long. Uh, talk about commuting to work. It's, it's 1,500 miles long, and it's 1,500 miles wide, and I can get into that, but it's also 1,500 miles high. I'm having trouble now. That's kind of beyond me. You know, there's only like 10 miles of, of breathable oxygen in our atmosphere. So that other 1,490 miles, what, what, what's that there for? I'm quite certain, though, that heaven is not about sitting around on clouds and playing harps. Uh, you know, if that's what you want to do, then maybe you can do it and we'll all watch another station or something. Uh, <laughs> I do know that there's no death. There's no separation and parting. I do know that there, there are no tears. I, I do know that there's no, no distress. There's no, there's no sorrow. There's no pain. I'm in. I, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I'm, I, that sounds good to me. I'll do that. I do know that God is there. You, and, you, and you get to see God, and you get to see, see Jesus. Yesterday would have been my mother's 100th birthday. She was born on leap day of 1920, uh, February 29th. And, uh, and I was born on February 1st. We own February. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ours. So if any of you interlopers are, are messing around with our month, just, just get over it. But I went to, uh, I went to her gravesite yesterday. And uh, 
Her name was Margaret. So I went to her gravesite, talked to Margaret Meek. And, uh, and as I was there, you know, I, I obviously couldn't help thinking about another Margaret Meek, uh, who was my wife. And you kept, well, you talk about her a lot. Yes, I do. And, but I, I was thinking, they're together. They, you know she's there, don't you? Wow, you know she's there, don't you? <laughs> Guess I'm gonna do it that way. What was that? It was a tombstone thing. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Uh, and what is seen is that both my mother and my wife are not here anymore. But what is unseen is that yes, they are. Yes, they are. In fact, just this last week, I had lunch with a, with a pastor friend who told me about a couple who had come to his church who apparently used to come here, and they, uh, and they hadn't been to church in 10 years. And they said, uh, the pastor we used to have, his, his wife died last year, and that really got us, and so we, we figured we need to go get back in church. She's still here. You know? And not only that, I, I mean, you know, I don't know, I, I, especially if we got a 1,500-mile by 1,500-mile by 1,500-mile place. You know, I, 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 let's just say you think of silly things. And I go, how am I going to find her? I will. I will. You'll find Mikey. Yeah. You'll find Lori. Yeah. I mean, we just will. You'll find Ray. Yeah. Amen. That sounds too good to be true. Well, in the world, uh, that, that's a bad sign if it seems too good to be true because even the stuff in the world that doesn't seem too good to be true is too good to be true because there's always a catch. There's always a gotcha. There, 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 there is always, oh, this is it's taking me that way instead of, instead of taking me that way. But in the kingdom, it's only the beginning. Paul, Paul says over in Corinthians, what, I, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Yeah. We may stop, but God doesn't. God doesn't stop. Philippians 1.6 is an important verse, and hopefully most of you know it. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Never stop, never stop, never stop. Uh, my, uh, my grandsons are wonderful. And uh, Bo, the youngest, was uh, this last week, you, you know, that song, uh, uh, You Never Stop, You Never Stop Working. Even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never, and Bo's going, never stop, never stop, never stop. How does he do that? How, just never stop. Yeah. Because when we're little, we think of those things. That's the kind of stuff we're thinking about. Uh, uh, Jack, the five-year-old, a few months ago, woke up one morning going, we come alive. The question today, Mom, is do we come alive in the river? Well, yeah, think about these things. You know, things, things, uh, things above. 
What is the good work that he has started in us? It tells us in, in Romans 8, 29, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The work that God is doing in your life is, is not to get you a bigger house or a better car. It's to make you look like Jesus. And that's a whole lot better. That's a whole lot better. And what comes before Romans 8, 29? Romans 8, 28, that's right. <laughs> we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. And we have cheapened this great verse. We, we have cheapened it into being only about things we can see and temporary stuff. Oh, you know, well, this... This happened and it looked bad, but I know it's going to be good. You know, and so we're waiting for the payoff. When uh, Ronnie and Connie got up in the first service and Connie was sharing the story about uh, the couple of months that they quit tithing, you know, car got stolen. Uh, the books got stolen out of the car. Most of the parts were stolen uh, out of the car there. Uh, their TV and their and their stereo got fried. Uh, you know, their car got stolen again. How many were waiting to hear, oh, but God came? Well, I, I'm sure God did come through. And if you've been to Ronnie and Connie's house, you know that they're, they're, things are okay. <laughs> now, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh they're still here for sure, but uh, I don't know that it happened that year. Because you see, what God was teaching them was not, well, you know, if you'll just start tithing again, I'll get you a car. What he was doing was working in them to make them look like Jesus. Somebody who understood. Somebody who didn't look at this and go, this is a blank, blank, blank. But somebody who looked at it and went, I see God talking to me here. I see God working in this. That's what I see. Something that's entirely invisible to other eyes. We have God's promise that we're going to be like Jesus. Wow. I mean, really. 1 John 3, 2 says that what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know this. We know that we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. Be like Him. Be like the, the, the King of glory. Be, be like the, uh, the cornerstone, the, the logos that spoke into existence, everything that Everything that we can possibly see. Be, be like the wonderful counselor. Be like the prince of peace. They say, oh, you're, you're talking blasphemy now. I'm quoting the Bible. That's what, that's what he's doing. There are more things in heaven and on earth than are dreamt of in our philosophy. Why do we make it so small? Lord, open our eyes so that we don't stop. We don't stop seeing. We don't stop growing. We don't stop pursuing. 